Welcome to the Thriving Forward podcast. Now to introduce your hosts. Hi, I'm Megan Laspinera. I'm the founder and executive director of Kids Thrive 585 Inc. and a pediatrician in Rochester, New York. And I'm Sarah Collins McGowan. I'm also a pediatrician here in Rochester, and I teach community health and advocacy to pediatric residents. In each episode, we will speak with people involved in good works and projects in the greater Rochester area. We hope that by introducing you to these inspirational people and their stories, you will be motivated to learn more about these amazing organizations in our region and the fabulous people who keep them working. Hello, everyone. This is Sarah Collins McGowan, and today on Thriving Forward, I'm talking with Dr. Andrew Sherman, a fellow pediatrician here in Rochester. Dr. Sherman is also the co-founder of NetLife, an organization dedicated to preventing malaria. Andy, thanks so much for being here today. Well, thank you for having me here. So uh, what's something that you've been into lately? Um, a couple of things, I guess, balancing life, being a dad, um, uh, you know, it's the summer, so we're going on summer trips with the boys, and I'm trying to build a treehouse. You know, interesting dad stuff that comes along with balancing being a physician and people trying to do good stuff at the same time. But it's also rainy season in West Africa, which means I am keeping track of some new mosquito nets that we uh, brought to Senegal um, in January and February to see how they're doing. So... That's, that's what I'm into lately, is, is that kind of stuff. <laughs> so you've got your plate full. <laughs> I do. I do. I feel like every day is, is pretty busy, whether it's work or family or global health kind of stuff. Like, there's, there's, there's almost not enough time to um, clean the kitchen counters now and then. It's, if I don't get to the dishes, it just, it just, they just don't, doesn't happen. I don't know what to do. <laughs> I feel like every working parent can relate to you on that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We do the best we can. It works out. I have like one spot in the kitchen that I'm like, this is that one spot I'm going to keep clean. The rest of the house, there's there's no hope for the rest of the house. It's good. That it's one a spot. manageable goal. Yeah. 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 This <laughs> portion of the counter, that's the spot. It's my peaceful place. <laughs> well, tell us a little bit more about what NetLife does. <clears throat> Yeah, so NetLife is a nonprofit organization um, that really our, our, our main goal is to find ways to reduce um, the damage, the morbidity, mortality of malaria in um, this region in Western Africa. Um, we used to think that maybe we could go after the whole world, but we know that we're kind of a micro nonprofit in what we can do because... Um, I was a Peace Corps volunteer in this area of villages and I know this local language and I know the people there. And when we work in that area, we can really make some impacts to decrease malaria. Um, the main way that we work since it's called net life involves nets. I know hard to imagine. Um, but we do a lot of, uh, mosquito net purchasing, distributing, um, and a lot of education around to find out what are barriers to using a net um, and things that we can like modify and fix. I think, I don't know, that's kind of where we're at right now. Okay. Um, so you were recently in Senegal, right? Just this past yes. winter. Um, so what does a trip like that look for you? What do you do when you're, when you're visiting, when you're going there? There's a lot of preparation and a lot of buildup. Um, so I feel like you talk about the trip, you talk about like the several 
months to like year before it happens. Um, just to make sure that you have everything ready to go, what your project plan is going to be. Because I usually when I go on these trips, I can spend about three to four weeks while I'm there, which isn't a ton of time. So like as many things need to be set up as possible, which includes everything from like buying the mosquito nets to knowing where you're going to stay when you're there, where you're going to eat, who are the people that you can talk to ahead of time and get as much stuff set up. So, so much of the project is like preparation. Um, when you finally get down to it, you're hauling around things, you're on planes, um, you have to get to the capital city, meet all the people that you need to meet there, and then travel across the country, which... You know, I can say it in one sentence, travel across the country, but it's like a long car ride that's really hot. And by the end of it, you've already gone through a few days and you're exhausted and you just have to like find some local coffee and just caffeinate and hydrate and caffeinate and hydrate and then just start going to talk to all the people that you need to talk to. Um, and that, And that's the first part of it is really going through the greetings with all the people. So if you go to the big city, which is called Kedegu, you have to meet with the district doctor. You have to meet with the regional doctor and usually their staff. You have to meet with all of them. Then you get to the health post village, which is a smaller village called Bandafasi. And then you have to meet remember all of them or I get in trouble <laughs> you have to meet the mayor who is different than the chief you have to meet the superfay which is like the government official you should really meet the um, the women's group leader the youth group leader the health post nurse uh, <laughs> this is more too like you just you basically have to spend several days talking to people, doing the greetings, drinking the tea. Um, since I was in the Peace Corps vol as, as a rural health volunteer in this area, my pular is, is pretty good, good enough to um, really uh, gain an understanding of what's happened over the last few years, figure out what the needs are, um, and connect with people. So there's a big part about that. I usually bring a group of people with me. Um, this last trip, there were six other people besides me, which is a big group. Um, and the hard part for the group is, while I'm sitting down and talking with all of these people, um, they don't always understand what I'm saying as it goes from Pular to French to Pular to French with like a dab of English explanation in there now and then. So I feel like they go for the excitement and the, the glamour of mosquito net distributions and they get stuck listening to me like just like mumble and or go in this sing-songy voice for like several days in a row and they wonder what they came to begin with. Um, but that's how it starts out. Um, yeah, it doesn't start out very glamorous for a while, but after the mosquito nets arrive and we get everything set up, then we start doing the actual distributions and the education that goes with the distributions. How long did it take you to like figure out that you had to, you know, go through all these steps, like meet with all the right people first and sit and drink the tea? And I mean, did you have any like missteps with that early on where you, 
Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, as a Peace Corps volunteer, like right when you're in the Peace Corps and finishing up, you've been there for two and a half years. Like you do it right. You know that what you did. But even as a Peace Corps volunteer, I was sometimes a lazy Peace Corps volunteer and wouldn't greet everybody right. Like I would go to a village. I would find the family that I knew best in the village and I would hang out with them. And they would kind of look at me like, shouldn't you go say hi to the chief and the mayor? And and I was like, no, I'm just going to like secretly be in this village for the night. Um, so there were times where I wasn't doing it right, even as a Peace Corps volunteer. Um, but it's more of a deal when you don't do it right as a nonprofit um, co-president. Because if like on this last trip, even though I know this, like I still forget this last trip, I talked to. The health post nurse, who was a very good friend of mine, I love the guy. Uh, I talked to the government person. I talked to the police person. I talked to the, the women's group leader. I didn't come back to the chief of the village for a little bit because I thought, I thought he was on my side very strongly from the last time I saw him several years ago. Um, because I like we did a project together. It helped like him out quite a bit. It helped his village out quite a bit. And I always kind of feel like, all right, you know, he knows I'm helping him. Like if I don't get to him on the first day, I'll be okay. I was totally wrong. So like, I think it was like a day and a half later, I was, I saw him just on the side of the path talking to some other people. And I was like, Hey chief, uh, you know, how you doing? And yeah, we're here. We're going to, you know, continue this project. You remember from last time. And he was like, no, you can't. And I was like, what? What? Buddies, remember? And he's, he basically said, like, no, you can't, like, do anything in this village without me. You know that, right? And I was like, oh, here it comes. And then so, like, I, the rest of the gang with me were about to go, like, into the center of the village. And I'm like, all right, gang. We just didn't need to be here for a while. And so I sit there and Dr. Andy Aline is also next to me and um, we just get, you know, shamed and berated in front of like several of the elders of the village. Um, and I have to just sort of like, you know, keep my head down and listen to it and nod and agree and say, I'm sorry and say, and after a while, they just, this would process and it just takes like longer than you want it to. Cause you're like, how long do I need to be shamed? And like, do you remember the, the project just a couple of years ago? But anyway, in, in, in the end, like it got figured out. And that's the good thing about the culture is like, after you go through the berated kind of situation, um, it all is forgiven. They're like, oh, we still like you. You do these things and you're American. You forget these things. And like, yeah. And so you're like, you just take one for team and country and you just say, all right, let's, let's move forward. So it's hard. I never like letting that happen, but like when you have to greet eight people in a village and you got a big group, you just sort of forget you something, you miss something. It's a good lesson. Cause every time I forget one thing like this, um, I don't forget it again. Mm -hmm. So when I go back, you know, I'll go to the chief first, but then I will go to everybody else rather quickly. So I don't, don't miss a beat. And there's a purpose to it. Like, Again, like, he's right. Like, if you don't do it, you don't get cooperation from all the right people in that village. I need that health post nurse to help me and maintain that relationship. I don't think I need the government person at the beginning, but then it turns out that I do because he writes a letter on our behalf. 
or um, what else did he do the last time? Like it's his office is one of the places with reliable like cell phone signal um, and Wi-Fi occasionally. And like we were able to like get data from our people in the United States because like we started there and like greeted him properly. Otherwise, you got to hang out by this water tower that has a bunch of cows that live at the bottom or just graze. And there's a lot of cow poop. And you're just standing with your phone hoping that you get more than half a bar to talk to somebody from India about mosquito nets and why they're not on time. So it really pays <laughs> to do the proper yeah, yeah. kowtowing and everything at the beginning kowtowing. of your visit. I like how you incorporated the cow. Yes, yes. It's very important. There are cows involved and cows involved. <laughs> So we've focused this podcast on highlighting, you know, people and organizations in Rochester who do good work in the community. And obviously you're an example of it, but in your case, the community is in Senegal. So what would you say, like, why should people, you know, in Rochester care about malaria that's happening in Africa? Or what can they learn from the work that you're doing there that we could, you know, apply here? Yeah, um, I think it's a couple of things. I, I value... And, and this is, you know, a philosophical view to start with, is that I value every child's life pretty equally. Um, and that is from the kids that I can help in Senegal and the kids that I can help in Rochester, New York, or Webster, New York, where my clinic is currently. And I feel like if you start at that starting point and you realize that you can work with a community, whether it's a Rochester community or a Bandafasi Senegal community, and help children with good efficiency, with evidence-based level kind of information, then I think you should do it. And so I work in my my clinic and I, I help kids like in my primary care practice, but I know that like I have a good capability to connect with community leaders in Senegal and do the same thing and even sometimes even a more special way because you can go to Senegal and you can distribute mosquito nets and save lives very efficiently. And so the statistic that I I discuss a lot is that if you provide enough mosquito nets to cover everyone in a village, then the all-cause mortality of kids under five decreases by 17%. So if you all of you, if a village didn't have any mosquito nets, you went and you provided them all, all these people with mosquito nets, almost one-fifth of the kids that would die from anything don't die anymore. So it's a very, like, if you can find things like that, I think it's a very efficient way to use funds to, like, help kids. Um, where I think it bridges to community health in the United States is it's the same process I think if you work with community leaders, if you talk to people all over communities, you're going to find people with different stories. And some of those stories are the key ones to like solving your problem, or at least getting kind of closer to solving your problem. And so I, I think it's the same process and I think it works. And so when I give like a talk and I gave a talk today about my project in Senegal, when I give a talk, whether it's here in Rochester or anywhere else in the United States, I try to like say, this is something that we can do in communities in the United States. You just have to like 
go with some of these kind of principles. When you give your talks or when you're teaching, you know, residents or other doctors who are interested in doing um, similar work, either on a global health scale or, you know, locally, what kind of what kind of advice do you give them? I mean, what how do they get started in in what you you know the kind of work that you're doing? Because you started obviously very small, and it's yeah. you know over almost twenty years has really kind of you know grown into this organization. But how do they get started? Yeah, and and this is a people don't always like my response for this because like you know what I'd like to do is be like here is a a letter an application letter, fill this out, bring it to your chamber of commerce or community. And like you, then you have an organization and you're starting and it doesn't work like that. Obviously. Um, for me, the starting of NetLife was based on personal experiences and a feeling of, um, a great need, a gap that could be addressed and a sense of injustice. And I think that's where it starts with everyone is, somebody's passion what they see and what they think that could get fixed when i was a peace corps volunteer we would talk about malaria but at that point we weren't doing mosquito net distributions so we would go from village to village and we would say all right if you want to prevent malaria you know make sure there's no standing water um you know try to keep healthy by eating good foods just immune system kind of stuff and if you can, save up your money and buy a mosquito net. That works really great. And people would be like, hey, hey, Abli, just my name there. They'd be like, hey, like, how can we, you know, save up, you know, to get a mosquito net? And be like, you just, you know, you just save, save all that money that's just lying around. And I felt like it was like a taunt. It was like a joke. I felt like almost cruel about it. Because it was like the most evidence-based way to prevent malaria. And we just had to say, yeah, you should save your money. And that was the gap. I knew that like, if we help people prevent malaria, less people would die. And like the easy way to do it would be to say, let's raise some money locally. Let's buy some mosquito nets and let's get them to these people. Um, Which at the time was not uh, an international accepted idea. In fact, people definitely did not like that on some scale. People would say, all right, you know, you're giving this free thing to these people and they're not going to appreciate it. They're not going to use it, which is really funny looking back because it's very much a resource that's appreciated. It's very much used. It's very appreciated and it's saved like, you know, in, in my area, like tens of thousands of lives and in the world, hundreds and hundreds of thousands of lives. So I knew that and that's kind of where this started. Um, other advice I would give to people starting up would be if you have something you think is a problem or an injustice, you have to never stop thinking about it and you have to research every aspect in every way. Like how can it possibly be fixed? What's the basis of the problem? What are other locations that have had successes? So you have to kind of You have to ask people, but you probably should do a real deal literature search of what people have published about it and see what works and what definitely doesn't work because that's the last thing you don't want to. But then the other thing that helped me is that I just, I never stopped talking about it. So, you know, at the time where NetLife started, I was in uh, St. Louis 
and we were starting to raise funds and I went to a jazz, no, it was a blues concert by a guitarist. And I went to this bar and uh, turns out that the blues guy wasn't feeling well, so he wasn't playing, he was just sitting at the bar. And I talked to the owner and I talked to this guy, his name is Tom Hall, super cool guy. Um, and I, I was just talking about malaria to like these random guys in this place and they're like, well, we could help you raise some money. And I was like, really? And they're like, yeah, this is my bar. You can have the bar and you can take it over and Tom here will play some music and we'll get like five or six other bands. And within like a month, they did. And like, that's what happens when you keep talking all the time about something is that some people will not like latch on to your idea, but some people will because they know they can help. And I think so many people want to help with so many things. So, so for that concert, like we raised like thousands of dollars and, you know, our interventions are not excessively expensive because the mosquitoes nets themselves are not excessively expensive. So, um, yeah, little things like that go a long way. So in summary, <laughs> find your problem, research your problem, and then just talk it to death, you know, literally talk the problem until the problem is dead. I don't know. That's what I would do. So uh, if someone does want to help or learn more, uh, where can they go to find out more about NetLife? Yeah, so we have a couple websites, um, which I probably shouldn't say that. We have one, like, Facebook. If you go to facebook.com, NetLife Africa, um, you can see our posts, which include pictures and videos from our mosquito net distributions and our education programs. Um the, the, we also have netlifeafrica.org, which is just re newly rebooted. It, it, it has a couple things that we're going to fix so that we can have some of the, the videos and pictures from the other site on there. But um, probably in the, la in the next like, few months, it'll, it'll be quite nice. But that, uh, usually they have like, contact information, and if people want to reach out to me on that Facebook page, like, you can post things, and I can... like contact people back and uh, that works really well awesome so bringing it back to rochester for a minute you've been practicing in rochester for a number of years now um what's a what's a local community organization here that you think more people should know about or hear about um my my i mean there's there's a, the thing is there's a lot mm -hmm. um the one that helps most directly with me and just super cool organization is our community bikes um, so our community bikes is a great organization. It was started by Dan Lil and he still does a lot of work for it. Um, and he and his group, basically, um, they take in bike, uh, donations, they fix up bikes and they give most of the bikes away for free to anybody that needs a form of transportation in Rochester. Um, I'm sure you can look at his website and see what days and kind of things that goes on. But he also takes some of the bikes and donates them to my program. And so uh, on this last trip, I think he donated four bikes. Um, we get them road ready for Senegal, which means nothing too fancy because like you can't fix fancy things. Um, but, you know, solid, solid bikes. Um, we pack them up into boxes. We bring them on the planes with us. We unpack them, put them back together, and then we have a form of transportation. Because a lot of the villages that we go to don't really have good roads or are far apart enough where you wouldn't want to like walk it if you're trying to get stuff done in a day. 
So the other part of that is we use them when we're there, but then when we're done, we donate them to a girls club that is, it's kind of the grade school, middle school girls um, that go to this school in the Health Post village, um, but live in different villages. Um, so we, uh, I don't know, it's great. So like our community bikes donates the bikes and we get them to the girls and we have great pictures of like these girls on their bikes they look happy as clams it's great it's great <laughs> well thanks for sharing about that uh what's your favorite thing to do in rochester or what's your favorite thing about rochester um it's it's a tricky question because like i think everybody says like familyness or something like maybe that's wrong <laughs> maybe some people might say access to good poutine but <laughs> i would say there's so many nonprofit organizations in this city so many people that want to help um and people that need the help and like so i guess what i love about the city is that it's willingness to like help on that kind of scale and i don't think that exists in other cities to that degree um, but you know, with my like happiness for that, I, I offer a challenge to that too. Like we need to do everything we can so that all the people that are wanting to help can truly help in the best way possible. Um, cause it's there. We have like people in need and we have people that want to help. It's just, it seems like we just need to like shove them together sometimes, but it doesn't work like that. And I know that, but, um, I just know that it's available. I know we can do it. And I, I believe that we can do it if we follow the kind of right practices that really, really work. I think that's a great note to end on. Um, thank you very much for joining me today on Thriving Forward. It's been really a pleasure to talk with you. The pleasure is all mine. Thank you. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Thriving Forward podcast. This podcast was brought to you by Kids Thrive 585 Inc., the Huckelman Center at the University of Rochester, and Rochester Regional Health. To learn more about today's guest, head over to kidsthrive585.org and click on the podcast link. See you next time. The views, information, and opinions expressed on this podcast are solely those of the individuals involved and do not necessarily represent those of their employers or funders.